Welcome to the 248th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are an overview of Patrick's weekend predictions, our weekly look at the NBA, and our weekly look at college basketball. So let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. And this weekend, Patrick's predictions were limited to college basketball due to the NBA All-Star weekend break. And Patrick went 3-1 and one in those college basketball predictions, which means he went 3-1 and one this week overall. That brings him to a 1,005 and 642 overall record. That's a 61% winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts on your weekend predictions? I thought I had a pretty good week. Um, I picked, honestly, the slate this week was kind of weak. There were a lot of high-ranked teams going on the road to unranked teams that I could have picked. Um, or, you know, even a team like Kansas going on the road to Oklahoma who was ranked 25th, which is virtually the same thing. Um, but, you know, there was one top five matchup. It was number one UConn who beat number four Marquette 81 to 53. I got that one right. Um, in terms of the other matchups, um, Alabama beat Texas A&M 100 to 75. So that really wasn't that much of a contest, but I thought A&M would honestly put up more of a fight than they did. Um, number 21, Virginia beat Wake Forest 49 to 47. So that one was a closer game. Um, and then number 22, Kentucky went on the road and beat number 13, Auburn 70 to 59. So that was a big upset, but felt odd just picking um, higher ranked home teams over and over and over again. Uh, and I tried to uh, have some close games. I mean, you know, judging by the fact that Kentucky did actually win that game and then uh, Virginia was losing for a majority of that game. And also it was only a two point game anyway. Um, I think I did an okay job of finding which games were going to be close and picking them. Um, but overall, happy with the week. Uh, I'm surprised that Kentucky went on the road and got that upset, but they had a good week last week overall with uh, their win over Ole Miss earlier that we'll talk about. Um, and they needed it. So Kentucky getting a few big wins. Um, Virginia beating a Wake Forest team that's on the bubble, but still a quality win. So that probably secures them for the tournament. Maybe one more win. I, I, they couldn't lose out, arguably, but, you know, maybe one more win. Um, and especially after last night, they can't lose out, which we'll talk about later. But, um, yeah, I, I was I was happy with my predictions. Um, three and one is obviously a good record, although, you know, disappointed that the slate wasn't as uh, as challenging to pick. It was really easy for me to figure out who I should pick in all these games. All right. Well, Patrick's weekend predictions uh, for next weekend, which will now include NBA games again. Uh, will be posted on our website on Thursday. So speaking of the NBA, as I mentioned earlier, it was NBA All-Star Weekend. Um, and so we had an abbreviated week of NBA action. So our look at the NBA this week will focus on the first half of the season and start with the most impressive teams. Well, we will start with the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, they were my most impressive team of the first half. A common theme around all of these teams uh, who I ended up putting on this list Um it's the Thunder, they encapsulated the best. It's just they're a young team. Uh, they had relatively low expectations coming into the year, but they come out of nowhere, and all of a sudden they're one of the best teams in the league. Um, Shea Gilgis-Alexander is averaging 31, 6, and 5. Or 31, 6, and a half, 5, and a half, uh, and two steals per game, which is close to leading the league in a few categories, including scoring. Um, and those numbers just – he's in the MVP conversation, and it's not even like – He's a he's a long shot to win it um, or he's basing it off of team success. He really has the stats to be uh, an MVP level player. 
Uh, and then, you know, you have Chet Holmgren who would win Rookie of the Year if it weren't for what Wembenyama's doing. Uh, Chet's averaging like 20 points per game, one and a half blocks, probably six or seven rebounds, I think. Um, and then you also have Jalen Williams who has increased his role and increased his uh, the amount of shots he takes per game. But somehow he's become more efficient um, despite taking an extra four shots per game, which is typically not how that works. Normally, you either stay the same or get a little bit worse when you take more shots just because it's more challenging. Um, you're taking some maybe shots that you normally wouldn't take if you are a uh, you have a smaller role on your team. But Jalen Williams has stepped up into that role of being the third scorer on this team. Arguably, he's the second scorer, really. Um, he, he might he probably could end the year scoring more per game uh, than Chet Holmgren. But that remains to be seen um, for sure. But for now, he is uh, up there. Um, and as I said, Shea is up there with Luka Doncic, Nikola Jokic, um, Jason Tatum, Donovan Mitchell in that MVP conversation. And we will just have to see how uh, how that unfolds at the end of the season. But he is definitely in the conversation. Um, and yeah, the Thunder have come out of nowhere and all of a sudden, they find themselves near the top of the Western Conference standings currently in second. They have been, there's a log jam at the top for sure, but they have still been consistent in that one or two spot pretty much the entire season. So they deserve credit for that. Um, then you have the Cavs. They went 36 and 17 in the first half. Look, they're here because of the late surge at the end of the first half. Um, they, they had the highest expectations out of any of the teams that I put on here for sure. Um, but look, over the first few weeks of the season, they were trying to reclaim their form from last year, and then Cleveland just flipped a switch. Uh, they now find themselves only trailing the Celtics in the Eastern Conference standings, and they're above two of the projected big three uh, teams in the East this year, obviously those teams being Boston, Milwaukee, and Philly. And, you know, for various reasons, Philly has tumbled down, mostly Joel Embiid's injury. Um, but the Bucks really don't have an excuse to be worse than a team like the Cavs. They have more talent. Um, you know, hasn't gone well with Doc Rivers, but the fact of the matter is, I don't really think it's it's a – it's a bad bucks kind of a thing. They are still 35 and 21. It's more of a um, Cleveland Cavaliers being just really, really good. Um, especially at the end uh, of the first half ended nine and one in their last 10, I think something like winning it 15 of their last 16 um, before a few games left in the first half. So ended on a pretty, pretty big streak of good play there. Uh, Donovan Mitchell, as I said, kind of injected himself into the MVP conversation if he can continue to play as he has recently um, and if the Cavs can keep up where they are in the standings. Um, but they look to continue that in the rest of the season as long as they stay healthy. Um, and they're hoping that they advance farther in the playoffs this year than they did last year. Uh, then you have the Timberwolves who went 39-16 and 16 in the first half. Uh, they had somewhat decent expectations coming into the year considering – all the talent they had on their roster. Um, but last year's lack of improvement was a big disappointment from the Minnesota fan base, at least um, from their perspective. And considering, you know, they gave up so many first round picks, so many players um, to get to, to assemble their big three of Cat, Ant, and Rudy Gobert. Obviously, the trade was for Rudy Gobert, but this year is more than making up for last year's shortcomings. Uh, they've seemed to have figured out how they need to run their offense with Rudy Gobert. He seems to even have stepped up a little bit on the offensive end. Um, and as a result, the Wolves are first in the West, and they only trail Boston for the best record in the NBA entering the All-Star break. Uh, there's not much more you could ask for heading into the season. 
and they look like they're ready to carry the momentum forward in the second half as well. Um, then you have the Knicks. They went 33-22 and 22 in the first half. They're another team who broke the mold of the big three in the East with a strong surge at the end of the first half. Um, while the past couple of years have been, you know, a sight for sore eyes um, in, in, New York, in New York City in terms of before they started making the playoffs, this season really feels like, you know, New York's real return to being true contenders. You know, last year, the year before, yes, they were in the playoffs, but it never really felt like they were a title threat. This year, it really does feel like the Knicks can actually take out some of the top teams in the East and maybe make maybe make the finals. I mean, I, I think Boston is still kind of the team that not many teams can uh, overcome. But at the same time, they, they lost early in the playoffs last year. Uh, there's nothing saying that they can't do that again. Um, and the fact of the matter is, the Knicks have been pretty decent against the Bucs this season. I think they've beaten them once or twice, and they've been close in the other ones. And then uh, they beat the Cavs in this playoff series last year, so there's no proof that they can't do that again. Um, and that's the rest of the top four. So, I mean, they clearly have a chance. Um, but, you know, they did lose four in a row right before the All-Star break. Um, but without that stretch, they could even be as high as third in the Eastern Conference standings. They could be ahead of the Bucs as well. Um, currently the only part of the big three they're ahead of is Philly, but they have those two, the, the Knicks and the Cavs have broken that mold, like I said. Um, and then honorable mentions, you know, the Pacers have kind of had a Thunder-esque type season. Um, they didn't have that many expectations, but you could see the young talent playing well. Um, you can make the Shea Gilgis-Alexander to Tyrese Halliburton comparison. Obviously, they're different types of players, but in terms of breakout all-star players that um, have been great in the past, but not necessarily playing at MVP level. And then all of a sudden this year they are. Um, also, their in-season tournament performance where they made it all the way to the finals was really impressive. But, you know, there were other teams that finished far ahead of them in the standings. And I think they've kind of come down to earth since the in-season tournament. So I didn't want to put them on here, but they were pretty close to it. Uh, the Magic, same kind of thing. Started the season really well. they kind of fallen off since then, but um, in general, they are still in playoff position. They have a winning record despite how many times in a row they've picked in the lottery. Um, I don't even know that number, but it's a lot. Um, then you have the Celtics, obviously number one team in the league, but that's exactly what everybody expected. So I'll give them some love, but everybody knew they would be there, so they can't get that much. And then, of course, the Clippers, who after James Harden's, uh, after the James Harden acquisition, this team really, really stepped up in the rest of the first half um, and put together a strong stretch that leaves them top four in the West. Okay, let's uh, move to the flip side of the coin and the least impressive teams of the first half of the NBA. Well, it's going to be mostly the bad teams, um, but I'll start with the Pistons. They went eight and 46 in the first half. Honestly, I had some optimism surrounding this roster. I never thought they could be a playoff or frankly, even a play in quality team, although the East does suck. So it is possible, um, at least in terms of depth, the East is bad. I should clarify that. Um, but I at least thought that the core of Cade Cunningham, Jalen Duran, and Jaden Ivey would be enough to allow this team to just be semi-competitive in the East, you know, not have single digits um, in victories heading into the All-Star break. But, you know, instead, they seemingly got worse entering the season, and they claimed the league's worst record in the first half. Um, they ended on a, I guess, positive note for a bad team by winning fourth or last 11 games. But this team was still wildly underwhelming. Uh, in the first half overall. Then you have the Wizards. Frankly, same exact situation as the Pistons. Uh, they went 9-45, and just one game better than the Pistons. 
They traded for Jordan Poole thinking they might have found a legitimate first option and good pair for Kyle Kuzma, or maybe even a second option with Kuz as the first option. But unfortunately, they were wrong about that evaluation. Um, putting together, It turns out putting together two late first-round picks who are very young and have never handled the show on their own uh, because they've played with other great players, i.e. LeBron and Steph, um, it, it doesn't really work that well. Um, so they ended up with almost the worst record in the first half of the season because of that miscalculation. Um, Kuzma had a decent first half, but Poole underperformed. He hasn't been very efficient. Um, he just hasn't lived up to any of those expectations. His numbers in the playoffs with the Warriors uh, that last year were higher than his numbers <laughs> this year um, in the regular season, which is not good considering he's also taking a bunch more shots. Uh, but this team is on pace to finish with the worst record in the league by the end of the year, in my opinion, because the Pistons have actually shown signs of getting better. The Wizards just haven't. Um, then you have the Raptors. I thought they had enough pieces to compete um, with their roster, but they just couldn't put it all together early in the season. And then they decided to blow it all up anyway. Um, Siakam and Ananobi are thriving in their new situations, while Scotty Barnes finally made his first all-star game and appears to be the piece that the Raptors are inclined to build around heading into the future. Um, they're mainly on this list, though, because they destroyed what was a decent core, like I said, and I don't really see the direction they're going from um, from here because they're not in position to successfully tank and get, you know, a really good top five pick. But they're also nowhere near building a competitive roster again unless they make a very unexpected big splash in free agency, and I don't really know um, how well you can persuade players to move to Canada, frankly, not to be rude, but... Um, it's kind of it's kind of an odd sell to join a bad Raptors team and move to Canada uh, at the same time <laughs> and also on a team that doesn't have a history of making big signings. So you would probably be kind of left out to dry um, in terms of your co-star there. So I don't know what their pitch would be in free agency. I don't know if they're in, intending to build through the draft. I do know that I don't think this year has many great prospects at the top of the draft anyway so it's not the best year to tank regardless um you're not going to get a franchise changing player early in the draft and you're especially not going to get one at the sixth or seventh pick in my opinion um so you know i'm confused at the strategy it is what it is I, they had no other option other than to stockpile picks once the first half started to go awry but i really feel like they could have done a better job supporting those players in the first place um and then you have the lakers 30 and 26. Yes, they were above 500, but look, they dedicated their entire offseason to bringing the band back together after their great after their great postseason last year. But things haven't they just haven't been quite as good. That they have pretty much the same record. Um, they did bring back the same roster, but again, the same record. Uh, the lack of overall roster improvements has hurt this team because the fact of the matter is, last year those trade deadline um, acquisitions were improvements to a team that was struggling a little bit this year. They just kept everything the same from after the trade deadline last year. Um, and, you know, it, it hurts that Gabe Vincent obviously has been injured pretty much the entire season. They've had some additions that they did make that just haven't played at all. But um, other than winning the in-season tournament, I just don't know if they'll have enough steam uh, to win it all, considering they'll have to go all the way through the play and, and probably play the one or the two seed in the first round, just based on where they are in the standings. Currently, they're currently in that seventh position, I believe. Um, no, I think they're in the eighth. Actually, they might be in the ninth. I think they're in the ninth position. Um, but because of that, it feels like LA should be in a much better position than they are currently 
in, especially considering they did win the in-season tournament. So they've shown the flashes of being dangerous. They just haven't been able to sustain it. Um, but I can't give them credit for being in the playoff picture, considering they are way lower in seeding than they were um, supposed to be heading into the season. And then in terms of honorable mentions, I'll put two more playoff teams on the table here. I, the Warriors were up here. Um, I didn't put them higher because they lost in the playoffs earlier than the Lakers did. Uh, they lost to the Lakers in the playoffs. And also uh, they have had, I mean, yes, they had a worse record than the Lakers, but I would argue they had a lot more expectations uh, than the Lakers did. And also at the end of the first half, they really did figure things out. Whereas the Lakers have kind of not reached their in-season tournament form since the, the middle of the season. And it's starting to tumble downhill. Uh, then you have the heat who, you know, I don't want to put them on here and I put them as the last honorable mention just because they do this every year. They always have a bad regular season record. Jimmy Butler misses a bunch of games, whatever. And then by the end of the, the season, they are the eight or the seven seed, but they beat the two seed anyway. So I didn't want to put them on there, but I left them as an honorable mention for that reason. And then I had the Hornets and the Spurs, the two other worst teams in the league, the Spurs, the worst team in the West. But honestly, my only complaint with them would just be that, Wembenyama is having a ridiculous season and no one else on that team is doing anything. And offensively, their players just do a horrible job of finding him, even if he's wide open, despite the fact that he's 7'5", so he's pretty easy to see. Um, and then the Hornets, they've been marred by injuries, which kept them off this list, but they are the third, I think they have the third worst record in the league. So maybe they did deserve to be on here. I didn't end up putting them on there. Um, but that's all I got for the NBA. It was, a, it was an interesting first half, and I think the rest of the season is going to unfold in a similar fashion okay well let's then move to college basketball uh with our weekly look at all of the important game action well i will start with number four marquette who beat butler 78 to 72 marquette was really really clicking we'll talk about what happened to them later in the week um butler a team on the bubble that's gotten some more respect funny enough keeps moving up in brackets despite the fact that they keep losing just because they're losing close games to great teams while other teams are losing uh games to bad teams and frankly one of those teams although they're not moving down on the bubble because they're not on the bubble uh north carolina they lost to syracuse this week 86 to 79 syracuse of course turned around and lost their next game as well so that didn't really mean anything um but look north carolina has taken some inexplicable losses after the duke win they looked unstoppable um for a little bit but now it's looking like they are a vulnerable team um i, I think if you're a seven or a ten seed and you get, or if you, if you're a fan of a team that gets placed at a two or a seven seed, uh, excuse me, at a seven or a 10 seed, I, I think that's the two seed you want to play as, as crazy as that might sound. I just think that, I think this team has far lower of a ceiling uh, or far lower of a floor than most of the other two seeds have. Um, but I'll move on from that. And I'll talk about number 10, Iowa state who beat Cincinnati 68 to 59. It's really hard to score against Iowa state. It really, any team has run into those struggles. Um, but Iowa State also doesn't lose at home. They are literally 15 and 0. Uh, then you have number 12, Baylor, who beat number 25, Oklahoma, 79 to 62. Baylor did not look like the typical Baylor at the beginning of the season, but all of a sudden their guys have kind of stepped up. Um, Eves Misi and um, Jacoby Walter have been great. They have so many shooters, Langston and Love as well. Um, it's really, really hard to guard this team because literally everybody can shoot except for their center and their and. Their bigs also do a good job of offensive rebounding, and the best time to shoot threes is off of offensive rebounds. So they get a lot of opportunities. They're really, really successful on the offensive end. Um, and, of course, a very well-coached team as always. So a dangerous, dangerous team 
um, trending towards a three seed by the end of the season, which is pretty much always where they end up. Uh, but then you have number 19, BYU, who beat UCF 90-88. This team needs to stop playing close games. They're starting to tumble down uh, a lot of rankings, not looking too great heading into the rest of the season. Speaking of not looking too great, these next two teams both fit um, that that uh, that ad, that quality. Number 20, Wisconsin beat Ohio State 62-54. to um, Apparently, Wisconsin has been so bad recently that uh, losing to them is worth firing your coach over, as that's what Ohio State did after this loss. Um, Chris Holtman was fired after um, this game, and we'll talk about what happened after that later. Um, but then you have Pitt, who beat number 21, Virginia, 74-63. Uh, team rankings has Pitt having a 5% chance to make the NCAA tournament. I think those chances might have been 0.2 or 0.5 like a week ago. But this team has kind of just out of nowhere gone on the road, gotten a few victories. Um, I, I thought that going into the month, I was talking to a friend about this. I thought going into the month, they needed to be maybe six and two, five and three to even have a chance um, by March. And they're on pace to go potentially seven and one in the month um, if they can win, squeak out a road win. Um, either at Clemson or at Wake Forest. But the interesting thing is they're still not necessarily secure for the tournament, even if they win one of those games. Um, but look, Pitt has put together a great uh, second half of the season, but it, it might be just a little bit too late considering the lack of quality wins left on their schedule. Um, they got that win over Duke earlier in the season, which is a big one for them. And that's their signature resume defining win. And this one is also a good one. But Virginia has continued to tumble. Uh, as the season has gone on, and we'll talk about that in a second. So maybe it's not going to look like a great win in a week or two when it matters the most. Um, then you have number 22, Kentucky. They beat Ole Miss 75-63. to 63. Good win for Kentucky. They needed some wins to improve their metrics a little bit. Uh, the metrics were not uh, aligned with the eye test at all, um, but getting a double-digit win over a decent team is going to help that out. Uh, then you have Illinois State, who beat number 23, Indiana State, 80-67. to 67. No offense to Indiana State. They have no business being ranked. Um, it, they have not been a top 25 team in the country at any point this year. I understand why they ended up ranked because the bottom of the poll is just a mess. Um, but frankly, any team that goes like one and one in a week in the Big 12, like a Texas Tech or an Oklahoma even who did stay in the poll but barely, I'd rather have one of those teams in there than Indiana State, honestly. Uh, it, it's different for teams that have quad one wins even if it's one or two of them. Um, but Indiana State, they only lost to good teams. That's true. But then they also have no good wins. So I don't exactly believe in the Indiana State hype, in my opinion, even though as a bracketologist, I do have them as the top-ranked um, auto bid from from one-bid leagues, for sure. It's, it's not really close. But at the same time, you know, even a team like Grand Canyon, who's beaten San Diego State, might deserve that spot more than they do. Uh, even though they're in a much weaker conference overall, I think they're a better team. Um, but Grand Canyon also is one of those teams who is uh, in that conversation for uh, that 11 seed from an auto bid. But moving on from that, speaking of the number 11, number 11, South Carolina got walloped by Auburn, who was ranked number 13 heading into the week, 101 to 61. Look, South Carolina was 21 and three. Um, they deserve to be ranked high. I think 11 was a little bit overrated. And I think there was some correction coming to that as soon as they lost a game, which that it happened. Um, but look, Auburn played a great game, just so efficient offensively, especially at home. Very hard to beat at home, although not impossible, as we saw later in the week. Um, and then number two, Purdue beat Minnesota 84 to 76. 
Minnesota was losing this game like 16 to five and came back and actually held a lead until about 10 or 12 minutes left in the second half. So impressed by them. Um, as dumb as it sounds, they're kind of a team to look out for in the Big Ten tournament. They've beaten Northwestern. They've hung with Purdue. They have a chance to actually make some noise in the Big Ten tournament, maybe steal a bid. Um, because I don't think that – I think that if one of the other top teams takes out Purdue, um, you know, if Wisconsin or Illinois does it, I don't think that Minnesota is – it's out of the realm of possibility that a team like Minnesota, even a team like Maryland, could beat an Illinois or Wisconsin. They probably won't be able to beat a team like Purdue in the Big Ten tournament um, when they're fighting for a conference championship. But if, you know, if one of those other top teams can kind of do the dirty work for them, maybe, maybe they can come out of that bracket. Same thing goes for Ohio State, frankly, who actually we'll talk about later did beat Purdue. Um, but San Diego State beat New Mexico 81-70. Important game in the Mountain West there uh, as that tight race keeps going, projected to get five or six teams in the tournament from that conference. So uh, a big win there for San Diego State as they further solidify their position. And the committee agreed that that was a big win and put them in their top four in their, yeah, in their top four seeds uh, reveal on Saturday as I think the number 13 or 14 overall seed, uh, which is a big win for both San Diego State and the Mountain West at large, I believe. Um, then you have UConn to beat Marquette. We talked about that game in my predictions. UConn is just ridiculous. Undisputed number one team in the country um, now by metrics and by resume um, and by eye test. I mean, it's pretty obvious. Um, but then you have number three, Houston. They beat Texas 82-61. Houston had a good week. We will talk about the end of that week later. Um, number five, Arizona beat Arizona State 105-60. to um, Arizona State hasn't beaten Arizona in any sport in a very long time. Uh, that's about all I can say. Uh, that 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 applies to women's basketball. That applies to men's basketball. That applies to football. That's baseball. I mean, there are so many sports that Arizona is dominating that rivalry in right now. Um, but this game especially was dominant, a 45-point victory. Um, yeah, they more than covered the spread. Uh, then you had number six, Kansas, who beat number 25, Oklahoma, 67 to 57 on the road. Uh, an impressive win. They got Kevin McCuller back in this game, and it proved to be a very, very big deal after their embarrassing loss to Texas Tech. Uh, last Monday that we talked about last podcast. Then you had number seven, North Carolina, who beat Virginia Tech 96 to 81. This is the North Carolina that is actually scary, but the thing is this type of North Carolina doesn't show up every game. There's also the North Carolina that lost to Georgia Tech. There's a North Carolina that lost to Syracuse at home, uh, all of the above. But then, or actually that wasn't at home, I should correct myself. But um, then you have number nine, Duke, who beat Florida State 76 to 67. Florida State has played a bunch of close games. They've been up there in the standings all year long in the ACC, but now they're starting to lose a lot of those close games um, and lose their footing in the standings as a result. Um, but they're still a decent-ish team, and Duke uh, had a little bit of trouble in that game, but Jared McCain with 35 points, most ever by a Duke freshman. Yes, he beat a Zion record. Um, it, it, he had a crazy, crazy game on Saturday, um, and he deserves – a lot of credit for that as he's come on strong throughout the season and Duke is starting to look really good because their freshmen are getting way better as the season goes on and they definitely have the experience to carry them through as well. Um, then you have number 10, Iowa State, who beat Texas Tech 82-74. to uh, Somehow Iowa State played so many games this week, they actually ended up on here three different times, which is something that I don't think I've ever seen. Um, but we'll talk about, the, talk about the third one in a second. Um, but LSU beat number 11, South Carolina, on the road 64 to 63. Again, South Carolina is another thing that um, allowed them to have such a fall in the AP poll. They went from 21 and 3 
to 21 and five after a 40 point loss and then a home loss to an unranked team that's barely above 500. Um, and then speaking of that team that beat them earlier in the week, number 22 Kentucky proved that it wasn't impossible to beat Auburn on the road. They did it, won 70 to 59. It's a huge win for Kentucky's resume. Uh, this team was lacking quad one wins, um, especially for the seed that people had them at, you know, mainly based on the eye test, maybe a little bit of name brand recognition, but not going to rant too much about that. But now they've had some quality wins. That win over Ole Miss is a really is a good one uh, that came by double digits. Not quite quad one, but this one definitely a very, very valuable win um, to grab and a really impressive performance overall because their team has been bad on defense all season long and they only gave up 60 to a team that had just scored 101 points the game before um then you have number 14 illinois they went on the road and beat maryland 85 to 80 uh this is of course kevin willard's famous clock issue game but uh illinois still deserves that credit for that victory um they're chugging along in the rest of the season on pace to get a four seed uh, then you have number 15 alabama who beat a and m 100 to 75 just Dominance from Alabama on the offensive end. We talked about it in our predictions. Um, number 17, Creighton beat Butler 79 to 57. Creighton taking care of business, um, beating Butler by a lot. It's it's hard to get a win on the road uh, against quality teams, especially at this point in the year where those bubble teams are fighting for signature wins. But Creighton was easily able to handle everything that Butler threw at them. Uh, then you have Oklahoma State who beat BYU 93 to 83. That's a really bad loss. Oklahoma State might be the only Oklahoma State and West Virginia are the only bad teams in the Big 12. As long as you avoid losses to them, you're probably a pretty good team. Um, BYU maybe slipping out of the good graces of people after that loss. Uh, not a, a very rare win in the Big in the Big 12 for Oklahoma State, I will say. Um, what's not very rare is Wisconsin losing. They've lost nine times on the season now after Iowa beat them 88 to 86 in overtime. The committee had them as a top four seed. I had to keep them as a top four seed because I felt like if they had them there already, a two-point loss in overtime on the road wouldn't change anything uh, in quad one. But at the same time, this team, if they get a top four seed, whoever that five seed is, frankly, whoever the 13 seed is, is going to be licking their chops. They're going to be very, very happy with that matchup. Um, I'm imagining that with how they've been playing recently, they're going to fall even more arguably to a five or a six seed by the end of the season. I, they should be a six or a seven, honestly. Um, they just aren't. The way they've been playing at the end of the season is just horrible. Uh, but then you have number 21, Virginia, who beat Wake Forest. Talked about that in my predictions. Um, number 23, Indiana State lost again, this time to Southern Illinois, 74 to 69. So uh, Indiana State hadn't been ranked since Larry Bird was there, and they lose the first two games immediately. Uh, then you have number, excuse me, then you have Ohio State, who beat number two, Purdue, 73 to 69. Look, Purdue loses once a month. It is what it is. Um, they just hope that in March it'll come in very, very early March instead of uh, at the end of March when it's the NCAA tournament this year. Uh, but this always happens. They, they lose one game. Everybody acts like the world is dying and they suck in the tournament and all that. But the fact of the matter is, it's really hard to go undefeated through a season. I mean, UConn is pretty much doing that with Donovan Klingon uh, available. They basically have not lost, but... It is hard to do that. Um, and Ohio State in their first game with a new coach, able to pull off uh, the upset. So credit to interim coach Jake Diebler for that victory. Uh, then you have USF, who beat number 20 FAU 90-86. to 86. It's looking more and more like FAU is not going to win the American Conference Tournament, and there's going to be a bid stealer from that conference. I'm excited about the possibility. I already adjusted for it in my bracket. I already took 
FAU out of the out auto bid position and gave it to USF instead, just because I think that's a more accurate way to describe what the bracket will look like. I think one of the A10 or the American will have a bid stealer where Dayton and FAU will make it anyway, but in the rest of the conference, there aren't any tournament quality teams in my opinion. And I think that if some of, if one of those two teams loses their conference tournament, there's definitely going to be a bid stealing situation. So I've prepared myself for that already by shrinking the bubble, by giving USF that auto bid. Um, and speaking of the bubble, Virginia Tech beat Virginia 75 to 41. Virginia Tech like Pitt holding on to just a shred of hope um, for the tournament. Virginia Tech would arguably have to win out and probably go all the way to the finals of the ACC tournament, but they've done that before. Actually, they only did, they did that like two years ago. Um, so it's it's possible, but you know they have wins like this. I mean, this is seventy five to forty. Well, that's embarrassing. Um, especially obviously for Virginia. So you know they can embarrass some of the top teams. Maybe they can pull a win uh, over North Carolina or Duke in the right circumstances. And then finally, for the last game of the week, number two, Houston beat number six, Iowa State, 73 to 65. Um, a good Iowa State team, but not quite enough offensive firepower to score at will against the number one overall scoring defense in the country. This game was a bloodbath, though. It was like, it was as physical as basketball can get. Um, refs knew it going in, didn't call many fouls, but. It was a fun physical game to watch. Um, maybe a little bit of a struggle for the first half, but Iowa State kind of found their groove offensively after only scoring four points in the first 10 minutes um, and kept it close at the end, made a few runs in the second half. But in the end, it was Houston who claimed the victory and proved why they were the number two team in the country. Okay, that wraps up our look at the week in college basketball. It also wraps this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Tuesday, February 27th where we will once again look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, have another look at NBA action as the second half of the season, or at least the post-All-Star game uh, weekend portion of the season commences, and review the week in college basketball. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his NCAA basketball tournament bracket that will be posted both on Mondays and updated on Fridays every week, and his picks for next weekend's games, which, as we mentioned, will be posted, as always, on Thursday. All of that content will be on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number four, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.